my dad had this hi-fi audio system that he would listen to his records on and I would take the CDs that I bought and listen to them in the headphones obviously not over the loudspeakers so I was listening to this Busta Rhymes album a song on there called What the Fuck You Want <laughs> and I had left that in the CD player my dad <laughs> he, he came home one day turned the system up he was about to listen to some sweet music <laughs> First thing that pops out is, what the fuck you want? <laughs> like, what the fuck? They go, what the? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Welcome to Creative Ops, a podcast for creative people. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Creative Ops with Christopher Talon. That's me. I'm an author. I wrote a book. You should think about buying it if you like sci-fi novels or horror novels or just time travel or just weird shit or just stuff that I do. But listen, there's another guy out there. He's an author. He has a podcast, and it's specifically for other authors. So if that's you, check this out real quick, and then we'll be back for the Creative Ops podcast. This is the Author Your Dream podcast with my buddy Kenny. I'm Kenny McKay, the host of the Author Your Dream podcast. I interview authors and industry experts to help first-time authors on their journey to write and publish a book. Find the show wherever you get your podcasts. All right, thank you for that. Welcome back. Today I am talking to Brandon Dante Copeland. Brandon is a phenomenal jazz musician he's also a phenomenal hip-hop musician and a great music producer a good cook he's been the artist in residence at a few places we get into all these kinds of things how he got into music how he got into event hosting and uh just he's a very creative guy very smart guy very interesting guy and i'm glad to know him we've gotten to know each other through the of Things to Do Thursday events that he puts together at the 106 Gallery at 106 South Division in Grand Rapids, Michigan every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. He'll be there. I'll be at most of those selling books as well. You should come by if you're in town. Check out the show notes for any other information, all the links, and uh, sit back and enjoy listening to Brandon Dante Copeland. Hear his story, a little bit of his process, and uh, yeah. All right, guys. See you on the other side of this one. two live instruments i can do all kinds of stuff makes it sound like i got a whole band so yeah that's this uh, i do consider the computer a recording investment yeah no that's what i tell my students it's like they're like which is back better mac or windows and i'm like window windows you can do a lot of stuff with it but then you have to download drivers all the fucking time yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's like <laughs> mac stuff you just plug it in yeah it's yeah. like the ease of ease of use is there 
I used to think that it was kind of pretentious when people were like, well, Macs are for artists. But now that I have one, I'm like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, because you don't want to spend a bunch of time like yeah. <laughs> trying to like get it to work. It's just yeah. like, let it work. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me <laughs> get to creating. All right. Well, um, let's start by getting a just a basic how do you do type introduction from you. people call you Brandon. I've heard people call you Dante. Um, I guess it just depends which crowd of people you're in. So I am Brandon Copeland. Brandon Dante Copeland, full government name. <laughs> Dante Cope, full rap name and rap circles. I am a multidisciplinary artist when it comes to music, which means I play jazz, hip-hop, rock, funk, the whole nine. Yeah, I've seen uh, you pick up a a couple of different things that you blow into, and then I've seen you pick up a couple of different things that you tap on. Yeah. So I can play... Uh, main instrument was saxophone. That's yeah. where I started. Um, Smoothly, by the way, this man. <laughs> and then uh, dove into music production. Um, beat maker for a long time. Produced for a bunch of different artists. Locally here, regionally, around the Midwest. Also play guitar and keys. And I put all of that into my music, and I can just spill stuff all over. You can't see that in the podcast, but you can hear it. Bruh. <laughs> Always carry a rag around, just in case. Bam. This is, uh, I'm drinking rum right now in the afternoon, because it's a thing we do. Dude, I, uh, I don't drink now, but um, when I did, I used to love those. That uh, New Holland Rum Punch. There's a free uh, advertisement, New Holland. Give me some money. <laughs> I need a sponsorship too. Actually, New Holland actually used to. I used to run a, a residency there. Oh, well, don't talk too much about that yet, because you got something going now like that. You had something like that going before there. Let's build into that. So I grew up in this small town in Michigan called Jackson. Okay. I don't know if you heard of Jackson. It's a awesome place that has the Cascade Falls, which is the quote-unquote place the Grand River started. That is actually false, but <laughs> it's claim to fame. Uh, Jackson also claims that it's the birthplace of the Republican Party, which is also false, but... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that is uh, something that the city claims. Um, now, like growing up there was it was it was actually I actually had a really good childhood. Um, Jackson, be, being a small town, I had like a tight knit group of friends. Um, we would hang out at parks, build forts, that whole '90s kid life. Yeah. Um, parents just let us run around the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, Latchkey kids, as they call them, come yeah. home when the lights come on. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that, I feel like it's missed nowadays because of the internet, but I grew up in that, and that sort of, um, I met, like, a bunch of people during that time. Uh, one of them, which is Trav, who actually is one of my co-artists, conspirators. Mm -hmm. But I grew up in Jackson, and then eventually middle school, they're like, you need to play an instrument. So they put a saxophone in my hand. 
and I started playing that. In the school band, did you get right into like doing jazz ensemble stuff as soon as you could, or did the did that come later? Yeah, I was kind of um, the kid that would just blow hard into the instrument, <laughs> and so they would just give me all the solos originally. You're <laughs> the guy that can make it do that little <laughs> yeah. little squeal. I can't, I can't even make it so, with my voice. But it was uh, they eventually were just giving me all the solos, and so. I ended up, like in middle school, I was in the jazz band, marching band, and all of that. In high school, I actually wasn't in any of that. I played in a band that my cousin started, and then I sort of played in the jazz band at the school, like on and off, but I was also into sports, so I played Mm. football and ran track. Oh, okay, so you were in the band, but then you had the exception you didn't have to do marching band, at least not for football? Yeah. Well, that's the only time they really do marching band, isn't it? (laughs) So I was kind of just in the space of... Hey, when you're in the band, you're just playing solos. So that was uh, sort of my growing up, just improv, sax stuff. I'm curious real quick, too. In football, what was, uh, well, I don't know, you might have played a little bit of everything, but what was the spot that you really liked to play the most in football? So actually in football, so the high school I went to, first of all, was um, my graduating class was over 600. football the football team you only could play one position okay wait was that northwest um no this is jackson jackson high jackson high okay so um i played cornerback for most of my high school career and then i played outside linebacker my senior year but <laughs> i had a growth spurt i, grew I was up. gonna say wait a minute you went from being guy who's like stereotypically like the smallest fastest guy to being the guy who can inflict the most damage and yeah. like overall athleticism yeah, I had a I had a growth spurt, so I, I grew a few a few four or five inches over one summer. Oh and man, did you keep most of that speed though too? Yeah, um, I can just imagine you coming around the edge. Then you got cornerback speed. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! So I um, yeah went from doing all of that to going and playing. I guess during that time, I started diving into music production. Mm. My older brother also played music. He was a drummer. Um, My older sister was piano player and clarinetist. But me and my older brother are really close. He's a year and a half older than I am. We were like a production duo. We were making beats together. Um, what was the first thing that you guys bought that you started making? Because I'm trying to guess, like at the time, this would probably would have been in the 90s. Yeah, it was in the 90s. It was in the 90s, so there was, wasn't apps that everybody could just go grab. So what were you uh, making uh, your music so, on at the time? So we actually got um, a keyboard. It was a Yamaha PSR 540 because it had all the sounds in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were big into, like, what, I, what wanted me to get into music production, um, my older sister obviously, like, bought a bunch of music that I couldn't buy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I heard uh, Missy Elliott's first album, Ooh. and so, like, that production was just, like, so ahead of its time. I was like, I want to do that. Um, yeah, I, I always thought that that was one of the first, not necessarily just that album, but Missy Elliott in general, it's the first hip-hop album that I really got into where I was like, man, this is just like a whole musical experience. It's not just about what they're saying and like, 
a yeah. beat that you can dance to. It's like there's a whole thing happening here. Yeah. And that was like for like 1996 is when it came out. It was just like. Yeah, some people so are like, this far. isn't even rap. This is, yeah. I don't know what this is. <laughs> it was like so far ahead of its time. Um, and so I went from there to like liking the Neptunes and then realized the Neptunes use a Cork Triton keyboard to make mm-hmm. all of their beats. So we were like, we're going to get a keyboard to make beats. Me and my older brother saved Which up. is early Pharrell stuff for people that don't know, right? Yeah, yeah. early Pharrell stuff. And the Cork Triton keyboard was like $4,000. Obviously, like as a high school Middle, middle school, high school kid couldn't afford that. So we were like, what's the... Yeah, what's yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here nodding like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, okay, yeah, of course not. <laughs> so it's like, what what can we actually save up and get? And so it was this Yamaha PSR 540. It was like maybe $300. We had a paper out, so me and my older brother and older sister like... say 300 bucks? That's a solid investment in the 90s, yeah. man. Yeah. So growing up, I grew up... Um, my parents actually were like really religious, and so we didn't have a lot of things in our house. Like, we didn't have cable. So, like, the media that I grew up on was different than a lot of other people, like, just growing up. Yeah. If I wanted to watch TV, I had to go over to my grandmother's house. And, like, obviously, like, that amount of time is, like, one, you know, four-hour period a week where I get to consume music videos or I get to consume, like, music that was happening at the time. My parents were super religious, so, like, the music I grew up was, like, the rap music I grew up on was, like, DC Talk. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. No. I have heard that. I I spent some days in youth group, and we listened to a lot of DC talk in youth group, man. Yeah. And so, like, hearing stuff like mm-hmm. Missy. I haven't thought about DC talk, Jesus Freak, and those songs. Yeah, for in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Like the first, I guess to say, like the first tape I had bought that was hip hop. I actually bought from a friend in school, middle school. It was Busta Rhymes, the Genesis album. And Busta Rhymes is insane. <laughs> The amount of, <laughs> the amount of like, sensical things that he can string together quickly, but also doing it in a musical way is crazy to me. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying Twisted doesn't ha- have the same musicality, but Busta Rhymes has, he sings his, I don't, I don't know. Busta Rhymes is a special one. Yeah, so I, like, that was the first tape that I had bought that was, like, dirty um, everything else, I could go and like buy singles, or buy, like we would buy singles because they'll be like a dollar, two dollars. Oh yeah, yeah, um, cassette singles. I remember those for sure. You'd but it was get, like one or two songs from the radio on one side, <laughs> and then just like a couple songs that you were just like me on the back side. Yeah. Uh, but it was always the clean versions because <laughs> yeah. I didn't want like my parents to know I was listening. Yeah, so. what is this trash? Yeah. <laughs> so like growing up, like I listened to Biggie and all of that, but it was always the clean version. And so, like, I so you only got about two thirds of the content. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, I, I remember specifically. I was in high school. Uh, I think I was in ninth grade, and I had bought Busta Rhymes' Extension Level Event, the album, the actual like CD, and so like my dad was. Uh, my dad was a fireman. He would work like three days on, two days off type deal. Yeah, and um, yeah, that's, was, those are crazy hours. They're like they're they're, they're not just going there. to work. They yeah, they're at work for days. And so like, if I would get in trouble, my mom would be like, "Wait till your dad gets home." That type of deal. <laughs> um, but my dad had this like hi-fi audio system in the basement, 
that he would listen to his records on and things like that. Um, and I would take the tapes or the CDs that I bought and like listen to them in the headphones, obviously not over the loudspeakers and things like that. So I was listening to this Busta Rhymes album, Extinction Level Event album. He has a song on there called What the Fuck You Want? <laughs> <laughs> and I had left that in the CD player, and it was like a six-disc oh. CD changer thing. Oh. My dad you one day clean came up your home. trail. <laughs> he, he came home one day, like turned the system up. He was about to listen to some music. It like <laughs> first thing that pops out is what the fuck you want? <laughs> like what the fuck? Nigga, what the Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I obviously got my SP because of that or got in trouble. But <laughs> I was gonna say you that's like an assault on the ears if you think you're about to listen to some just like laid back chill music and all of a sudden it's Buster Rhymes yelling. <laughs> But in all fairness, like, my dad did have a secret stash of music that I found out later. Ah. Records in his, like, work area that were, like, Ohio players and some, like, more raunchier stuff. He kept the good stuff somewhere in there. Yeah. It was just, like, you know, I got to keep stuff away from the kids. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, that was, like, growing up. I grew up in that sort of environment. But I was always around music. Like, my mom was always into music. Um... My dad listened to good music. My mom, like, was a piano teacher. Taught most of us how to play piano. She didn't teach me how to play piano because I was just too much of a latchkey kid. I was always outside <laughs> doing something. Yeah. I was into other stuff, too. I was into drawing. I'm actually, like, a really good illustrator. Not I, trying to toot your own horn. <laughs> Sorry, I got a good drop for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had this friend, like, one of my best friends in through elementary school going up into high school was do Evan Shaner and we would just make comics together. And that was like our thing. Did a lot of that. Did a lot of music. I was a smart kid too. Then what happened? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I, I was a smart, smart kid, <laughs> like, at a fault, um, because, like, school really didn't engage me. Yeah. So I went, like... You'd hurry up, get your shit done, and then just daydream? So, yeah, I would read the textbooks, like, the first two weeks of school, Yeah. and then know everything, and then the rest, and just, like, dig around for the rest of the school year. Um, even, like, my junior and senior year, I made it a challenge to myself to not do any homework. and like i would ace all the tests and ace all the quizzes my teachers were all pissed at me because they're like you don't do any homework you don't turn anything in and i'm just like well and then i would skip class a lot in my senior year they enforced they created that rule where like you can't have more than nine absences oh yeah but like before that i was just like hey if i pass everything you can't yeah (laughs) like i know what the government says i need to know lay off me um so there was a lot of that going on. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen that, too, as a teacher. Kids who were really gifted, speci- specifically artistically, who would just get, like, really beyond bored at school and just get up and leave. It's like, where's that kid going? It's like, oh, he's probably going to go over to his friend's house. They've got a studio that they make music in over there. It's like, <laughs> oh, he can't just leave. It's like, well, he is the best student <laughs> in the school. So uh, It was like I had a lot of teachers that really loved me, too. And they would just, like, allow me to do stuff like that, too. Yeah. Like, I would just, like, go out to lunch, not come back for a few hours. 
They know we your personality. You're yeah. you're not the kind of guy who's gonna be like, hey, I'm gonna go be innocent over here and then like go go like steal a car or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I did. This is probably saying too much, and I'm probably gonna get in trouble for this. But um, we did have like a campus officer. He wasn't like an actual officer, like police. He was just like a hall monitor. Yeah, we called them narcs at my high school, yeah. but like they weren't like a true narc. But no, but he smoked a lot of weed. And so I smoked a lot of weed with him during <laughs> the high school time, <laughs> uh, confiscated weed from other students. But, <laughs> hey, <laughs> get in good where you can fit in, I guess. I don't know. That would be awesome <laughs> if you were like, hey, dude, that guy over there that used to pick on me when I was in fifth grade, he's got weed in his backpack. Go get him. <laughs> <laughs> there was like, I guess at high school, there were like other things too. I, I was also an angry kid, though. I fought a lot. Oh, really? Um, That's amazing to see. Um, I've talked to a few people like on the podcast and just in general who were like so even keel seeming now, which, you know, you, you, I've never seen you get like really upset. So that's why I've, <laughs> I've seen you get like really thoughtful, but not like visibly like pissed off. Like, what the fuck? So, yeah, no, that I did all of that in high school. So I was <laughs> not only in high school, I did that like through college too. Cause I was also like, still an angry kid i was in like the i was like waist deep in hip-hop culture yeah um i should send you some pictures of me in high school and 90s kids the 90s rap was particularly aggressive yeah. yeah so i was like aggressive and then just like you know a little ego thing just yeah. like yeah nobody's gonna do this to me like it was that whole vibe um went to grand valley um, I was tricked into going to Grand Valley. <laughs> no, it was so they, like they told you it was Italy. No, no. So like Grand Valley, <laughs> I, I visited a few schools. I visited Michigan State, like Eastern U of M. Um, I actually took a class at Michigan State during I was the summer. Say, Michigan State—that's the big one because I'm from uh, right around the Lansing area too, and. If you live within a 50-mile zone, which Jackson, Jackson's, Jackson's yeah, pretty right close, there. right? Yeah. yeah. If you live within a 50-mile zone of Michigan State, like 60% of your high school goes to Michigan State. Yeah. And so, like, I took a class there over the summer between my, like, senior year and first year in college. But um, I went to Grand Valley to take a tour. I was actually going to college for engineering. Hmm. Um, and showed up to campus, and there's, like, it was... Like, Grand Valley's campus is beautiful. It has always been beautiful. It's like all the, you know, these very new buildings look state of the art. Um, but there was a ton of black people. And I was like, oh, this school is like dope. Like, I was gonna say, cause the way you said that at first almost sounded like, ugh. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, it was just like, <laughs> I was like, this is, this is dope. Like, Michigan State, there was a ton of white people. And I was like, yeah, Grand Valley. I think they fit me, like, and then showed up, <laughs> showed up like, the, like first the first week, week of, school. of school, and, like, all those black people that I saw were, like, literally all the black people on campus. They, like, I think put them strategically in place <laughs> for this tour. <laughs> they, lured, they lured all of the black people into one area, yeah. took a couple of pictures for the brochures. But I actually met, like, a few people, like that I'm friends with or, like, co-workers with to this day from that experience. Like, uh, 
I work at Wimcat. Jamon is the director at Wimcat. He was one of those black people that I saw on that tour. Uh, <laughs> there are a few other people. Yeah. But, um, like, the big culture shock was, like, my first, like, you move into campus, you move into the dorms. I was at um, this dorm where I actually had three roommates. So it was, like, a four-person thing was it one of those ones where it's kind of like a apartment style and you each get your own little tiny bedroom or do you share bedrooms? No, it was still? just a big room okay <laughs> four bunk, <laughs> or like two bunk beds on either side yeah uh and the one of my roommates had never seen a real black person before like in real life uh, he's from the up like other than on tv he had never seen like <laughs> how how long did it take him to just not be awkward around you? Or did it ever? No, he wasn't like, he wasn't really awkward. Um, he didn't he ask a lot like of like, curious. do black people do this questions? He like would take my durag <laughs> and like put it on his head <laughs> and be, or like do stuff like that. He was a, he played for the tennis team. Uh, he was actually pretty cool. Like it, it was just like. Okay, I assume too much when you say a a person from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan who had never seen a black person before. I would assume they would come with some biases maybe, but No, he just had questions. Yeah. And it was like, me and him actually hung out the most out of the four people that lived in that room. Hmm. Um, We had one dude that like literally dropped out of college that first year. I don't know. He never went to class. He was just there. Yeah, first year Uh, of school. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> look left, look right. One of those people isn't going to be there next yeah. year. <laughs> um, the other guy, he just wasn't that memorable. But he hung out with us a few times. But he was just like doing whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then in the actual dorm, like, because it was like an actual dorm, I hung out with like other people. Yeah. Um, there's this dude, Dave. And me and him got like really close. Um, and it was fun. Like it was... Um, It was enlightening the first year in college. <laughs> I really like stopped doing music during that time. Um, I was just kind of like figuring it out. And at that point, you were still thinking engineering, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, second year in college, it's like second year engineering school. I was uh, getting bored again. Yeah. So I kind of just jumped back into music. I was doing music production just on my laptop. Which kudos to you because a lot of people, man, they get, they're like, oh, well, I already got a year's worth of classes done. I'm, I'm just going to stick with this. Yeah. And I was like, like in college, I reverted back to my like high school shit. Yeah. Where I was like not doing homework, but I would do it like right before class. Do, do just enough to get <laughs> yeah. by. Yeah. Um, and like one of my professors, this Dr. A, he was dope. He's from Africa. Um, he was actually like, he recognized that he was just like, bro, you're smarter than you letting off. <laughs> and I see that you're just like doing this to do it. And he was like, so I ended up dropping out of engineering school after like three and a half years. Mm. Um, he was one of the people that were just like, you don't, you shouldn't drop out. Like. Um, mainly because he was like engineers. You, I mean, you saw the light at the end of the tunnel at that point. Yeah, I was. So I dropped out for a couple reasons. My grades wasn't bad. I was like in good stand, standing. See, so good uh, degrees. I was uh, 
like your third year, third, fourth, it's a five-year program, your third, fourth year, you're basically doing co-op mm. where you're working and supposedly learning. Mm-hmm. I was doing this co-op for Mill still, and I wasn't learning anything, mm. and then it was just like shitty to be there. It just felt more like an internship, if anything? It didn't even feel like an internship. It just felt like I was there to test metals. <laughs> it felt like a factory worker yeah. at that point. Yeah. And I was like, I can't see myself doing this the rest of my life. So I'm just like. You can put your head through that fucking wall if you kept yeah. <laughs> did that for the next 30 years. Yeah. Um, and I also looked at like the the guys that like were working there, the actual engineers that were working there. And I was like, they live a sad existence. Mm. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Um, Maybe they love it, but yeah, they, you just couldn't. Yeah. I don't think they loved it. They were, <laughs> they were, like, I went to engineering school to like, I wanted to design cars and like do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I did work on some cool projects. Like, they, I feel like they recruit engineers the same way they recruit people to a band. It's like, hey, we need you. And like, everybody's like, I want to play the saxophone. They're like, well, we could really use a trombone. Here yeah. you go. <laughs> That's basically what it was. Um, but when I was leaving engineering school, like Dr. A was just like, engineering needs you. And I was like, why? He was like, most engineers aren't, or they can't co- connect with people. Mm. He was like, you have this unique ability where like, because I was also like helping other students in the class, like learn the material. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, you can explain stuff in a way that's not engineering talk Yeah, to people. Where like most engineers are just like, you know, you say some technical data and people are just like, what the fuck did you say? Because <laughs> <laughs> like we will have presentations in the class. Like, we'll have lab, and, like, you'll create something, or, like, you would uh, either create something or you'll have, like, a lab on something else, um, and then you have to explain it. Um, I was really good at explaining it short and, con- like, concise to the point where it's, like, they get all the information, but then if they want to learn more, they can just revert to the actual, like, paper. Yeah. And we were writing a lot. Like, we were writing, like, 20, 30-page lab reports Ooh. every week. So it was, I think doing that, like, helped my work ethic later. Yeah. Because when it came to, like, after engineering school, I switched my major to communications and went into uh, broadcasting. Um, so, But before that, like, even during when I was in engineering school, um, I worked for WCKS The Whale, which is, like, the campus radio station mm. for Grand Valley. Okay. And I had a radio show. It was super dope. Um, <laughs> it was actually like one of the more popular radio stations. Was it music? Radio. Was it talk? Was it a little of both? A little of both. It was um, a hip-hop show. Um, but there was like a block of shows during that time that like were popular. Um, before me was this girl, Juliet, and she kind of did this sex talk show. <laughs> and then I did this hip-hop show. And then after me, there was another show that all were like popular. Um, then like my show, we actually got like a lot of interviews from artists. A few things happened during that time. So like I would get music sent to me from like all these promoters and like record labels and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then they would send like, you know, artist information for like roto calls and things like that, where you can call in and do interviews and things like that. Yeah. And how that works is normally like the artist has like, five minutes to interview all these college stations and like they just go one after the other um i ended up interviewing john legend 
No shit. And it just happened to be the like the time. Well, he was it. coming up still. He was coming up still. He was promoting his second album. Like his first album was done. And he was like just about to release his second album. And uh, affirmative action had ended in Michigan. And like John Legend's from Ohio. And mm. when I started the interview, I was just like, hey, like we got John Legend, da 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 da. We're going to take calls about this affirmative action thing. And John Legend was just like, oh, I know a lot about this. Mm. And so he stayed on the call for like a half an hour, which mm. his manager was like calling our station, like, we need to end this, like, yeah. da 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 da. Cause, because like he's only supposed to take so many radio stations, like, in a certain time. But this is like something he was passionate about. Um, and like we got him on the line, and that like threw the listenership of my radio show up. Yeah. Um, so then, like, when I switched my major to communications, I applied to be an intern at iHeartMedia or Clear Channel at the time, mm. which is, like, owns all the radio stations across the country, mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, and I got, like, my internship pretty much right away. Um, and then, like, six months later, they kind of hired me in as a producer. still going to college during that time i was in this like crazy schedule where i would still work in college doing broadcasting in school right yeah still taking classes yeah. but um i also had this job or like internship turn job at clear channel which i was literally like producer of the morning show which ran the show ran from 6 a.m to 11 a.m but i had to be there at 3 a.m to like produce all the stuff then I had college classes, and then like three nights out of the week, I would also DJ for iHeartMedia at Izukar or like wherever they needed me. And that was nine to two a.m. So I was in this like crazy schedule where I was like not giving enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was also like recording a bunch of bands during that time to pay for college. Um, so I would do like on the weekends eight-hour blocks of just recording bands. Um, I had a I started a recording company with um, this guy that was in one of my classes, uh, Dave James. And we recorded a bunch of bands, like acts, things like that, mm. um, out of our college dorm. <laughs> 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 it was like, it wasn't, he didn't actually live in our college dorm. I had other roommates at the time. So it was like. But you had, had your, other- you had your actual dorm room that you lived in set up like a studio. Yeah. By that time, we had moved into, like, a townhouse. Mm-hmm. And so it was, like, a townhouse, but, like, we would record bands out of this townhouse or use Grand Valley Studio, which, after a while, Grand Valley got hip to it, and they put a cease and desist out <laughs> on us. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can't use our studio to record and, like, make money off of our studio. <laughs> um, so then we were just doing shit out of the dorm for a while. Um, but, yeah, we... uh. Like, we recorded a bunch of bands during that time. Um, a lot of them didn't amount to anything. A few of them I still have, like, relationships with from the people. Um, but it was a fun time, like, of recording music. I actually, like, learned a lot during that time about engineering. And, like, because we had a small space to record, mm-hmm. I learned all the techniques. I would, like, study up on, like, Motown 
and how they like ran their you know because Motown was literally in a house. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You can still go. I haven't been, but I've seen pictures of it. They've got like pictures out front, like this is the original. They recorded this, 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 and this here. Yeah, they they did some like crazy techniques. Like they would um, like record the band in the first floor, and then in the attic they'll run like a reverb chamber. And just like send signals through, and sort of that's how they got their effects. Hmm. It was like crazy stuff at the time, which like now with technology, you can do that in GarageBand easily with the bus. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like how did they get that sound? So we and were that's really how like you got those really echoey like. Da, yeah. Da, 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 da. But hmm. it was like separate, so they could like turn it up or turn it down in their mix if they needed to, which is like phenomenal at the time like it was like so state of the art at the time yeah all their horns like sound like they're coming from a dance hall yeah yeah um Hmm. they literally like changed the whole game of like home recording because now like everything is based on like what they did even like the emulators and all the technology and all the stuff is literally like based off of that um went from a house to rule in detroit to now they're in la to yeah sadly (laughs) very sad but, like, we did that. Um, we did some, like, cool stuff. Like, I would use, like, Grand Valley's, like, even their engineering school had these, like, huge staircases. So we would put, like, a guitar amp at the top of the staircase, mic <laughs> the bottom, and get this, like, yeah, reverb <laughs> thing. We would do, like, some crazy stuff at the school. That was a fun time. And uh, I mean, that's, that's the best way to learn anything is to just play with it and see what happens and then go, ooh, I like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I ran that recording studio while doing um, radio, and we did that for a few years. Um, me and Dave ended up having a falling out, and so I like left during that. And then I also wanted to just focus on like we were recording a lot of like bands that I didn't really like. Yeah. It was like a lot of metal bands that were like recording shitty. stuff just to record stuff. Yeah, it was just like money making. Yeah. Um, Bands that weren't ready Which to really record. Which really takes the soul out of what you're doing and really makes it not as much fun as more. <laughs> yeah, like towards the end, yeah. I was even telling bands, like, you you guys aren't ready to record. Like, yeah. <laughs> go practice your instruments more. Like, yeah, I can make you sound really good, but you're never going to sound this good live or you're never going to sound this good. And, like, people are going to be like, well, why don't, why don't you guys sound as good as recording? Yeah. And it's like, no, like, play your instruments. Like, come back when you guys are all, you mastered your own songs because then it's, like, easy and yeah. that's that's the other thing. Like a lot of bands do it backwards now because technology is so easy to record. Yeah, you can just do fifty takes until you get one that's pretty good. Yeah, and it's like no, go out and play your songs out live. Yeah, because that's always going to be the biggest draw. Of, is the song is good or not? Because yeah. if the crowd is rock, rocking with it, then. Um, but also, like you're gonna perfect the song the more times you play it live because you're like, oh, well, if I add this, the crowd loves this. If I do this, um, well, there's definitely something to the playing it live too, because you don't really know your style until you've bounced it off people a little bit. I can't remember. Um, I think Ani DeFranco, which I don't know if anybody listening knows who Ani DeFranco is, <laughs> but she's a singer-songwriter who plays like a very aggressive style strumming, and she had said before that um, she developed that kind of a style. Uh, I hope I'm getting the <laughs> artist correct. <laughs> she developed that kind of a style because. When she would play places, people like just wouldn't pay attention. And then when she would really slap the strings, people would be like, what? And they would turn and look and see what was going on over there. No, I feel like that's critical for any musician. 
like play for the crowd, you'll figure out what the crowd likes about your music or yeah. like the little ticks and things yeah, like that. Still her music. She's just finding a way to play it that makes that people actually look and listen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is AKA style. <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up going like and was just wanted to focus up more on my own music during that time. Um, and so I started working on like my first album. Because I've had like a ton of musical influences, by this time I was listening to like you go through college and you smoke weed and you start listening to like the Eagles and like <laughs> you know Hotel California and like yeah. all this other stuff. Um, so I had like a ton of musical influences at that time and like mm-hmm. even growing up though like um, a few records my parents would let me listen to like a bunch of Stevie Wonder records. Oh man. So, like, Songs in the Key of Life, my mom had, like, the whole special edition, first edition, like, full thing with the sheet music and, yeah, all of that. And so I would listen to that record, like, religiously. Um, Sometime I'll have to show you. I, I do a guitar cover of uh, Signed, Sealed, Delivered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, that record specifically, like, so when I went to sort of produce my first record, my first album, um, I had all those influences in mind. So it was like, it was a hip hop album, but it wasn't at the same time. Yeah. So a lot of people were like, well, this is different. Like, um, and during that time, like I worked with a ton of artists that I had already produced for. Um, so I had like this crew of people like in East town, um, I produced for a lot of artists in East Town, like East Town J, Support, a few other artists. So I had like this crew that would rock at Billy's and this crew that would rock like at certain places, intersection and things like that, that sort of supported me in this and like built a crowd. Um, but when I went to shop my first album, like we recorded it, finished it. I wanted to do the album release party. Billy's wouldn't let me do it there. Mm-hmm. None of these places would let me do it anywhere. Um, so I ended up just renting out like a DIY music venue. Um, and was like, we're going to throw a crazy party. And that was like, we did, um, and I printed off, I think, 250 copies of my album. I think we sold 236 that night. Damn. And because, so that answers how did how did it go? <laughs> yeah, no, it went went over really well. And then I realized that like since doing that, people sort of had this expectation of me to do events and things that are out of the norm. For that party, we called it the World of Wild, Where the Wild Things Are party. Uh, we had like this, we made the space look like a jungle. We had this huge parachute that we put over the top and like had it lit up to look like a canopy. It was like ripped up parachute from like Vietnam <laughs> era. 
we had this lady, I don't even know who she was. She like just collected vines for some reason. <laughs> like, so we put vines on all these pillars in the building. We had like jungle juice and we had like, all this stuff. <laughs> and, like, we smoked weed juice. inside and like all of this. Yeah. And we did this. Yeah, we did this album release and like a bunch of people showed up and they obviously had a good time. And then I realized that like people want something different than the norm, like stuff that's going on at like music venues, Billy's Intersection, things like that. Um, so I kind of got into this just like underground music scene. People just expected like that I just throw crazy underground parties. And did that kind of segue into some of these like artist in residence things that you got into? Sort of. Um, it originally like started where I was doing. I was booking more like underground events. Like we booked uh, Dopehead, which is like Danny Brown's cousin at like Latvian Hall. We would book out like the Polish halls or like the warehouse spaces at Eleven Eleven Godfrey, just to do shows. And then um, eventually, I ended up taking over. I did a show at the Death House, which is uh, was a DIY venue started by Ryan Capoletti that was pretty predominantly punk music. Yeah. And when they were failing, they decided to do a hip-hop show, which I was a part of. And then they were just like, yeah, we can't afford rent anymore. And I was like, hey, let me just take it over. So myself, Brandon Sykes, and then uh, Gannon, Rich Gannon, we basically were just like, we're going to take it over. And so that was like our spot for like three, four years. Hmm. And so we would just throw events and shows there pretty much every weekend. Punk shows, hip-hop shows, house music nine like anything yeah and so i was doing that for a while and then we were our landlord was uh walt gutowski who is uh owns the west side he's just owns the west side <laughs> <during that time. laughs> uh, it was on the west side so like he ended up just like getting greedy at one point and wanted to raise our rent like to more than what we wanted to pay so we ended up stopping doing that but walt wanted us to move to a different spot and like open up a studio there too because he has a band and he wanted us to record and we ended up not like doing that but um just like the relationships I had created during that time and like I had started I had released my second album and then with the second album I had started a band and eventually like that became Lake Creative originally it was just like Dante Cope and the band <laughs> um and then it eventually became Lake Creative, which is my band now. Um, we went through a bunch of members and things like that. But during that time, like New Holland had like saw the stuff that we were doing. Obviously, I'm not saying too much, but the Death House was across the street from where New Holland was at, and so they were like, "Hey, like, it was a guy that worked there that would show up to all the Death House events, and was like, hey, we should have your band play here.' And so they gave us um, like a residency." It ended up going on for two years um, where we played like every other Wednesday in their Zeppelin Lounge. And that was like super fun. At the time, like our band didn't have enough music to play every other Wednesday <laughs> without <laughs> repeating a bunch of songs. So we, are, we started bringing in artists like to play along with us and like oh, yeah. started the series where we were just like, Lay Creative Presents. So <laughs> we would like bring other people in um, to perform. And it ended up going like really well. We did that for two years, and then I started hitting the road, just for working for an entertainment company and just trying to hit the road in general. Did that for, I'm, I kind of still do that, but I did that heavily for like two years, where I kind of like quit everything. 
and like a lot of stuff overlaps for me. So like uh, during that time too that I had the Death House, I was also teaching at Wimcat. I started teaching there. <laughs> Originally, I started teaching there as a sub for their video production class. I was say, you said that you met somebody from uh, Grand Valley, one of the black people. One of the black people. <laughs> um, so, there, is that how you kind of got a foot in the door over there? Um, that actually was it. Um, so, it was actually uh, Stu Mike Saunders, who was the video production or video production instructor there, had been to a few of our shows. They had helped us with a few of the underground parties. He was the one, he was like, you know a little bit about video production. Cause I was also like, had music videos and things like that. He was like, if I need a sub, cause he was making movies. Um, mm. He did a lot of the, uh, I think it's the Sob Noise movies with uh, Joel Petrikas. So they were like becoming big. And so he needed a sub. And I would sub in for him from time to time. And then I eventually, they had a music production class there that he also taught. He was like, you know this better than I do. <laughs> so you should take this over. Uh, Jamon was like, who I met at Grand Valley, was also working there. He wasn't the director yet, but it was just like but a spoiler nice face. alert. Yeah, <laughs> a nice face. <laughs> and yeah, he was there. It was just like, everything's coming full circle at this point. So I was like teaching there, but then I was still like touring. And I like taught at Wimcat. This is at like the old building that was downtown in the Action Building. Mm. Taught there for like two years and then actually left to go out and do this tour for this entertainment company. Did that for a year and then realized that like it was the same thing like how I went to engineering school. Just took a look at all the people that had been doing it for a while and then like, yeah, I don't want to live my life like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was like one guy in particular <laughs> that had been there for like 20 years. And, like, he had retired, and he had, like, made a bunch of money, bought this house, and had, a, had like, moved his wife and kids into the house, and then realized he didn't even know his wife and kids, because he had been out on the road for so many years. Oh. And, like, literally was crying to come back. Like, I mean, that's, me, that's <laughs> me, for real, though. Yeah, it's just like, let me come back to work. Like, I can't stand <laughs> these people. <laughs> like, and I was like, I don't, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that guy. So I was like, yeah, I'll be, let me come back. Started teaching again, started doing art shows and things again. We were doing events at the Nomad Gallery, um, which is like Richard App's spot. I started recording artists again. I started recording this girl, Helen Lyle. She's super dope. Check out her music. That's a plug. <laughs> <laughs> um, she has like two albums. She's super dope. And then just like trying to get back into doing Roots in town here yeah you've done community events and now we're recording i'm sure i'll say this in the intro too we're recording in the basement of the 106 gallery well i don't know is this the basement of the dwelling place here what's the proper term for where we are this is actually like 106 division just the apartment complex we're in the basement of that not necessarily the gallery okay um there's no name for this building. I, I, they, they need to put a name. They put a name to like all these other buildings. It's the below street level <laughs> if you go into the 106 gallery. Yeah, yes. there you go. <laughs> um, we're so, subterranean. We're underground. So uh, did the people here approach you about doing these things to do Thursdays? Oh, so no. So it started... Um, because you had already done other events in the building here. So, you know, they, they knew it, who you were, I'm guessing, from that, but... Um, not necessarily. So it started, uh, 
because Jen Schaub, who is uh, director of community building engagement here at um, Dwelling Place, um, they put out a call for artists and residents. And uh, I was actually, um, Hugo, who is the drummer in our band, was like, hey, you should apply for this. Yeah. So I applied for it, got it. Um, the first six months, I ended up doing um, like four events. I did like three specific community events at like specific properties that Dwelling Place owns, and then did one large event. Um, oh, so those other things that you were doing uh, before with uh, Kid Kane and the. Um um, I don't know what you know and that yes. stuff. That was all still with the artists in residence here. Okay, okay. Yep. Um, and then through that process, like just through surveys and things like that, a lot of the residents were just like, yeah, I liked it, but like I need something more consistent. Yeah. And yeah. so I was like, well, let's just do a weekly. Let's do something every week. Um, and that's where the thing to do Thursdays kind of happened. Which has been awesome so far. And it's been so many different things. It's been like art markets. It's been concerts it's been um art shows yeah <laughs> we're gonna have uh like i don't know when this podcast is coming out but uh this month is october we're gonna have people like, will, people will catch this one uh before the next one not this week but next week okay so there's an open projector night you probably just missed it <laughs> <laughs> uh we're having a photography uh, Ricardo Talvarez uh, is a uh, dope photographer. He's doing a showing of his series and having poets. That's also this month. We're also having like this Halloween party with DJ Phaser. And then in November, we have a host of events, like art shows to like the 7th is doing something. Um, we're skipping Thanksgiving so you guys can enjoy that holiday with your family. Yeah. The people uh, here don't want to probably be selling you know free coffee and stuff when they could be having thanksgiving dinner yeah understandable but the thing to do thursday started like just as an extension to my artist and residency program so like my first contract was for six months and that ended in june and then they extended it to the end of the year hmm. um and they're like propose another idea so i was like thing to do thursdays um and that ended up going over really well yeah and i know kate lewis has been uh doing some stuff to help get the word out, and um, that's how you and I... Well, actually, that's not how we first met. We first met through Mike Logan, yeah, we but first then met. again through Kate Lewis was like, hey, you should come and talk to Dante about putting stuff. I was like, I actually know Dante. I should talk to Dante about putting <laughs> my books out here. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... it's Yeah, because, like, the first six months doing the I Don't Know What You Know, I think that's when I first met you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, uh, I had Mike as one I of the producers. I think you were about to put up the second show of that. And that's when, yeah, I got treated yeah. to some dinner, or I'm sorry, breakfast that you made, which was fucking amazing. It was like that, eggs and salmon and capers. So that's another passion of mine is cooking. <laughs> I uh, really enjoy the process of cooking. It's therapeutic for me. Yeah. Like, I move really fast, and I do a bunch of stuff, and I'm, like, always doing things, always in my hands and things. Cooking is, like, the time where you get to, like, sit back, relax. Yeah. Um, I totally feel that. I just don't like other people in the kitchen with me, so don't hop in the kitchen trying to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike was like, "Hey, you know, actually," and you're like, "I'm actually a full, full blown chef," and he's like, "Ah, I'll just sit on it." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it was delicious, <laughs> and it was, it was delicious. delicious. Oh my god! I actually asked Mike. He 
he had never finished his his food. I was like, hey man, if you don't finish yours, would it be weird if I ate it? He's like, kinda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like that was like chopped though. We were there and Angelica was like, This is all the stuff I have in my fridge. What can you make? Yeah. <laughs> and it was like Yeah, I can make something. I'll throw throw something together. Yeah. But it ended up being really good. There was like salmon. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Oh. Salmon and caper. I never have breakfast like that because I, I usually keep it simple. I always make just some regular plain old eggs. I do uh, chop up and cube my own potatoes and fry those up on a, yeah. on a cast iron. I'm really good at the potatoes. But cast iron is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, I had to get one, man, because if you're trying to make potatoes and just a regular frying pan, good luck. It's just not going <laughs> to be as good. Um, Shit, dude. We'll get together and talk again because we could definitely go longer but uh you have places to be i also have places to be um but yeah i'll be around here on these things to do thursdays assuming my books come in on time and um i I highly recommend it to everybody yeah every thursday six to eight it's gonna be different every time and it's gonna be enjoyable every time i've seen elderly people i've seen babies you know with (laughs) with adults (laughs) there have been babies that babies just stroll it off the street yeah, and, and, and people from quite literally all walks of life come into these things. It's a really beautiful thing. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, man, thank you for having me, and uh, thanks for sitting down here. All right, folks, that was Brandon Dante Copeland. Great guy. Multi-talented in art and cooking and just being a cool, cool dude. Uh, so I hope you check him out. I hope you, if you are in the Grand Rapids area, make it out to one of the things to do Thursday at the 106 Gallery on 106 South Division. Uh, what else is there to say besides I love you guys, thanks for stopping by, and I'll see you next time. Mwah. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, 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 man. Weird, right?